Answering the common objections to natural marriage. An interview with Monica Dumit. So I'm joined today by Monica Dumit, who is the coordinator of Catholic Talk and is also the co-editor of marriageequals.org.au. So thank you for joining me, Monica. My pleasure. Now, of course, being the coordinator of Catholic Talk and really being, I guess, engaged with the marriage debate that's going on at the moment, you're pretty much at the forefront of a lot of things that are going on. So I think it's pretty safe to say that you've heard you've heard it all before. You've seen a lot of the, the major arguments. I guess why we're speaking today, one of the main reasons why we're speaking today is because I guess I wanted to hear from you uh, some of your ideas, some of your responses to the common objections to natural marriage, uh, the common points that are raised against a person who wants to defend the definition of marriage. Um, what are the main arguments that you've heard and how would you typically respond to them? Okay. Uh, yeah, great. Um, so, oh, there are so there are so many uh, reasons that people use to is advocate for the redefinition of marriage. Um but I think there are a number of sort of key key arguments and key points that we keep seeing recurring. Um, one of the big ones is when we start talking about rights. Marriage is a human right. It's the same as it's the same as being interracial marriage or interreligious marriage or things like that. Um, it's funny on on marriage is a human right. It absolutely is a human right. Uh, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which is the the binding treaty. Uh, that a number of countries, including Australia, is party to, says that you have a right to marry and found a family. Um, that's not in dispute. But the United Nations Human Rights Committee itself, when a case of same-sex marriage came to it um, about 10 years ago, said that there was no right to marry a person of the same gender and that that right didn't include that. Um, so it's really funny, the UN is the one who came up with the treaty and they're also giving us the limits of that right but people seem to ignore the latter so I would I would just point them to um, the UN Human Rights Committee who itself says that same-sex marriage is not a human right and that countries who are party to the treaty do not break that treaty by legislating that marriage is between a man and a woman um, and like I was saying the other one that we get common we commonly get spoken about is that it's the same as interracial marriage. And I heard a great explanation of this. I really love it. Um, have you ever been a victim of the grammar police? Uh, you'd say, excuse me, can I please go to the toilet? And what's the response when you say, can I please go to the toilet? Somebody who's a grammar, who's grammar placing you usually comes back and says, I don't know, can you go to the toilet? Which of course leads you to rephrase and say, may I go? Because that that's grammatically correct. With interracial marriage, what they were saying is that you may not get married. There was nobody was ever denying that a, that marriage, natural marriage as defined, could not include or the concept couldn't include a couple of mixed race. They were just saying we will not permit that. When it comes to same-sex marriage, what what people who believe in natural marriage are saying, saying that actually you cannot get married. It's not physically possible for two people of the same sex to get married. So the the comparison to interracial marriage isn't exactly accurate. The other one that, that gets up, um, that gets brought up quite a bit is when we start talking about children because, you know, you'll hear proponents of natural marriage say, you know, that children have a right to a mother and a father. And that, that also, when we're talking about human rights before, 
that is actually a recognised human right. The children have a right to know and be raised for where possible by their mother and their father. Um, but if we would ever say that, we get all of these responses saying, you know, studies show that children of same-sex couples do just as well, if not better, than children of heterosexual couples. Um, and then we'll have statistics on the other side saying, no, 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 there are studies that show that you know, children do better with their biological mother and father. All of these studies are going around. We sometimes get a little bit confused about what's accurate. In reality, and if both, I don't like using the word sides, but if both sides of the argument are being honest, we actually don't know. We don't know because for these studies of children being raised by same-sex couples to have any real significance, that would have had to be done over many decades um, and usually with children who are raised from the beginning by same-sex parents and with large numbers of people involved. What these studies usually, the, the studies that show that children do okay with same-sex parents, it's usually the children weren't, weren't necessarily raised from the beginning by same-sex parents. They started off with heterosexual parents. Then there was a split in marriage. That affects a child's well-being. Um, there are also very small numbers, you know, 40, 30 people studied, something like that, often self-selecting as well. So these people volunteer for these studies. And if you're undertaking a study about the well-being of children, you're only really going to volunteer to be part of a study if you have something positive to say. Um, and they're done over a very short period of time. So all of those factors make those unreliable. Similarly, the studies that say that children don't do as well raised by same-sex parents, again, there is the initial, often the initial break breakup of the parental relationship, the biological parental, parental relationship. So those studies could be better as well. So we don't know. But what we do know is that there have been studies, particularly there's one called the Grant Study, which has studied children over 70 years or more. And what they find is that the absence of a mother or the absence of a father makes a difference. So the Grant Study found that children, when the mother is missing, they don't do as well in terms of uh, economic well-being, uh, job security, all of those things, all of the, all of the, I guess, very professional matters, education, all of those things uh, tend to decrease when the mother is missing. With the father, the ability to enjoy, to relax, to, to relate with people, to cope in various situations, all of that is decreased when the father is missing. Um, even President Barack Obama, who we know is a you know a big advocate of same-sex marriage and who lit up the White House in rainbow colours after the Supreme Court decision, spoke and was talking about uh, talking about fathers and the importance of fathers. And he said, you know, we know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of schools, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They're more likely to have behavioural problems, run away from home, or become teenage parents themselves, and that the foundations of our community are weaker because of it. So he's recognising what the absence of fathers does there, but then doesn't link to what it might do in, the, in relation to a same-sex relationship. And so it's just all we know, the, the most reliable data we know, says mum, mum's important, dad's important, and the absence of one of them makes a difference on the long-term long -term, uh, health and success of the child. So that's where we are with, with children. Just with that, though, um, a common objection that may be to, to that is that that could simply be an artefact of there being one missing parent, so that you've got a single a single parent or, or a, 
a parent that that wasn't there from the beginning, uh, and that this wouldn't necessarily apply in a situation where you have uh, a child conceived through IVF and then donated to to a couple of the same sex, and the child may never know in their entire life that I mean they would eventually be able to put two and two together, of course, but potentially never never really tell the difference uh, that they do have a missing parent. Um, could that be a case of simply that we're attributing single parenthood and the problems that occur with that with, uh, I guess, we're trying to expand that into same-sex relationships where there are two parents? Well, look, it's possible, but again, I would look back at the Grant study which said that when mum is gone, there are certain characteristics that are shown in the child and when dad is gone, there are other characteristics. So it shows me that mum and dad aren't necessarily interchangeable, that they each they each provide different gifts. And it's not if you have two mums, still the influence would be on that economic successful, you know, job security, all of that, education, all of that side. If you had two dads, maybe the coping skills and all of that would be good with the other with the other missing. They actually provide different gifts. So I see the point, I'm just not sure I not sure I agree. Another one is that same-sex marriage won't affect the marriages of other people. That's one that we hear a lot. Uh, Senator Penny Wong recently debated Senator Cory Bernardi. And one of the things she got up and said, something along the lines of, you know, if same-sex marriage is legalised, the sun will still rise the following day, heterosexual couples will still be married, you know, nothing will change. Um, and we hear that a lot, and it is a, it is a tempting argument. The thing is, is that I don't think that the day after same-sex marriage is legalised very much will happen. I think we have to we have to think about what happens 40 or 50 years, in 40 or 50 years' time. Um, marriage at the moment in Australia is defined as uh, the union of one man and one woman to the exclusion of all others voluntarily entered into for life. So it gives us four main points. It's heterosexual, it's monogamous, it's voluntary, and it's forever. And so when we pull out any one of those, we change our cultural understanding of what marriage is, and we can see that with divorce. So this year it's been 40 years since divorce has been legal or no-fault divorce has been legal in this country. Back 40 years ago, I'm sure many of the same arguments could have been made about why we should legalise no-fault divorce. You know, there are particularly women in very abusive situations. They should be able to leave their marriages quite easily, um, and that's you know, a good thing, by the way. Um, but they, sh- they should be able to do that. And if another couple divorces, what effect is it going to have on your marriage? And, you know, you can see the logic in that. But look what's happened in Australia in the last 40 years. Now one in three marriages end in divorce. Um, divorce... Might, might sadden us a little bit, but it definitely doesn't shock us. It's kind of seen as normal or expected. So in, in 40 years, that change to the marriage legislation has changed our idea of marriage. You go to some ceremonies, now not, not Catholic ones, but civil ceremonies where the couple don't even vow as long as we both shall live, they vow as long as we both shall love or as long as our time together lasts. Our cultural understanding of marriage is that maybe it doesn't have to last forever anymore. In the same way this will affect our cultural understanding of marriage. That's um, that's just how it's going to be. You can argue over whether or not that effect will be positive or negative, but to say that it will have no effect on other people's marriages, is it's just not true when borne out by the evidence of divorce. 
going, ah, the overwhelming support for marriage is another one. You know, 72% of Australians are in favour of same-sex marriage. It's a done deal. You know, we need we need to get it over the line. And, and those statistics come actually from uh, research commissioned by Australian Marriage Equality. Um, and it's really funny. If you look at those stats, 72% does seem quite overwhelming. But when they asked people how much they, like the level of their support, strong support... Um, was only 48%. So still, the majority of Australians don't strongly support marriage, um, marriage redefinition. The other thing that happened is they asked people how much they care. So how much, how important is this issue to you? And um, even among the people who strongly supported marriage redefinition, 30% of them said it wasn't important to them at all. So it's really curious. We can have these numbers that say, yes, 72%, overwhelmingly support marriage redefinition but people aren't necessarily that interested it's not a strong it's not a strong desire for marriage redefinition out there and I think that that's really important for people to understand when they get when they when they voice their support for natural marriage and get made to feel like they're the only ones no you're not the only ones um a lot of people still support natural marriage and a lot of people who say that they support the redefinition of marriage don't care that much either way. So don't be afraid, to anybody listening, don't be afraid to speak up. It's actually not, you're not as alone as you might think you are. Um, the other one, and, and kind of linked to that, often when people speak up and say something, they often get attacked with, it's hateful, you're being hateful, you're being homophobic, and that's your position is based on hatred. Um Whenever anybody says this, I often think about parenting and you think about how many times a parent has to make rules for their child or set boundaries. Uh, a parent who lets their child do anything that they want and supports them in that is not really a good and loving parent. Um, to me, I think that's quite lazy parenting. Uh, the idea that that you're engaged in this debate, particularly that the church is engaged in this debate, I think is actually a sign of love. Look, everybody knows that, you know, we, we could do with some more popularity at the moment. So it would be quite easy for the church. It would be really easy for us to put our hands up and go, you know what, do what you like. You know, do what you like with marriage. It's fine. You know, we'll step out of the discussion. Uh, definitely it would be a lot easier for the church to do that. But we're in this out of love. We're in this because... We are bothered. We're bothered with, you know, what happens to society. We're bothered with what happens to the individual. As much as people might disagree, dislike the church's teaching, to say it's born out of hate is not true because if, if it was born out of hate, we would be silent. So with these, I guess, with these arguments that you've been presenting, relating that to the political situation that we have in this country at the moment, where is that sitting um, at the moment? We kind of had a bit of a a whirlwind a couple of months ago. Maybe it wasn't even a couple of months ago. I think it was only about a month ago. Where is that debate at the moment? And how do, I guess, these arguments and the responses to these arguments sit in the political context? Mm, question. So in terms of politics, you've got, obviously, you know, the Greens, strong supporters of the redefinition of marriage. The Labor Party at their national conference this year decided that they would maintain a conscience vote for all of their 
for all of their parliamentarians until 2019. And if marriage had not been has not been redefined by then, then the Labor Party will bind all of its members to vote in favour of the defini- redefinition of marriage. So Labor will have a conscience vote till 2019. If they win the next election, 2016, uh, Bill Shorten has promised marriage redefinition legislation within his first 100 days. So that's the Labor. Then on the Liberal National side, they had that marathon party room meeting uh, where it was decided that they would maintain the party line that marriage is between a man and a woman and that MPs would still be bound to that. From what I understand, it's only the cabinet members for whom there will be any negative consequences if they were to be expelled, if they were to vote in favour of the redefinition of marriage and that backbenchers would be able to do what they please. But for the most part, the Liberal national position is that marriage is between a man and a woman. But out of that, Prime Minister Rabbit said after the after uh, the meeting at a press conference that it was it's a matter that will be put to the Australian people. So by way of a referendum or a plebiscite, which is kind of a non-binding referendum. So we're expecting a public vote of some time of some type in the next year or two. Uh, there was a Senate inquiry, a very brief Senate inquiry. It lasted two weeks. It just finished on Friday that called for submissions in relation to how that might happen. Um, We're awaiting at the moment the results of that inquiry. I think it's due to report next week or the week after um, as to we've got questions about when when the vote will happen. Will it happen at the time of the next election? Um, What's the form of it? What what question will be asked and all of those things? So we await all of those details. Um, I guess it's a watch this space. in terms of how some of the things that we've spoken about inform the argument, I think that, you know, I'll I'll speak as a Catholic here, I think that this public vote and the time between now and then is really providential for us. I, I, you know, I think it is a gift from God that we have this time and so we have to use it it wisely, use it with prudence. Um, We have a year at least. What do we need to do? We need to skill up on these conversations. We need to have them, yes, with our parliamentarians, but at the moment, if it's going to be a public vote, people's people's minds are going to be changed, minds and hearts are going to be changed by conversations with good people who charitably, lovingly express their opinion on these things. So if you're listening to a podcast about marriage, chances are you're one of the people that we're going to be looking to, to be being informed about this and speaking to others. So Cradio obviously has some great resources and we'll continue to add to to them in the coming months. Um, As Luke mentioned at the top, uh, I'm the co-editor of marriageequals.org.au, another resource-based site with lots of shareable material. Um, The important thing is don't be afraid, have the conversations. These are, you know, it really is up to us Catholics. Like so many times in history, Catholics will be the ones who are standing there um, in defence of marriage. Um, and so this is us, this is our time. God's given us a year uh, at least. Let's let's use it prudently. Absolutely. So I guess there's a bit of a call to action there. Call to action. At the end. Um, did you want to just speak about with marriageequals.org.au? What, what is that website and what can you find there? Okay, yeah, great. Um, so there are there are great, so many great websites out there and great resources on marriage. But what we found, a lot of them, particularly the ones that were being shared on social media, 
aren't necessarily Australian-based. They were created for the US conversation, the conversation in Ireland, things like that. I think we need some really great resources that are Australian-based that that look particularly at the Australian situation because we're different. We're not Ireland. We're not the United States. Um, so there are downloadable fact sheets on you know some of the issues that we've spoken about and many more, uh, YouTube clips, cartoons, things like that, memes, things that you can flick out on your Facebook page, or if you're not confident to do that, just use to inform yourself. Um, we'll be adding to it all the time. It's marriageequals.org.au. Uh, always happy to have feedback on how we can make the site better, what we can offer you in terms of resources that you need. We'll have podcasts and videos and and really a whole bunch of things. We're all in this together. So um, that's what Marriage Equals is trying to do. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Monica. My and pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. No worries. And we will be, uh, yeah, we'll be praying for, for all the efforts, uh, all your efforts in the coming year and coming years, however long this, this lasts, it will be. No matter what the, the, the result in Australia, I guess it was, we're in it for the long haul. So uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you. That was an interview with Monica Dumit on Answering the Common Objections to Natural Marriage. For more interviews, talks and shows, visit cradio.org.au.